Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Oh, hey, before we start the show, i got to tell you about the Allegedly podcast with my lawyers, Bo Bowen and Ryan Schmidt. They got pop culture, they got legal news, they got behind-the-scenes antics, and a whole lot of laughs. One of the best podcasts I've ever heard. Allegedly with Bo and Ryan at thebowenlawgroup.com. Link in the description and everywhere you get your podcasts, of course. And now let the cartoons begin. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Hi, this is Leslie Nielsen. Merry Christmas, you eggnog-sucking patsies. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, December 7, 2022, and this is the Bob Seska Interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 687 of the Biden-Harris administration, 699 days until the 24 presidential election. Find me on Instagram at TheBobSeska, Twitter BobSeska underscore go, and our Patreon is BobSeskaShow.com. Plus, my link tree is in the description. Today, we're talking some politics, and we're talking some comic book movies with my friends Rick Shue and Freak Base. Yes, Freak Base is back. You might know Rick Shue from the Batman on Film podcast. He's getting ready to launch a brand new show called Friends from Work. You can also find him on Twitter at Rick. link in the description. And, of course, Freak Bass returns to the show today. He's one of my favorite musicians in the whole wide world. You can find him at FreakBass.com plus Twitch.tv slash FreakBass and on Twitter at FreakBass. Links in the description, of course. Who knows? Maybe this is going to become a regular thing. We'll have to bring in my other nerd friends, Jody Hamilton and Travis Bone, next time. And, you know, I'm not 100% convinced I want to do a regular nerd cast. But whenever I talk with these guys, Rick and Freak... I get super motivated to pull that trigger. And by the way, please help support this show by subscribing to our bonus content at bobseskashow.com. Okay, here's me and my friends Rick Shue and Freak Bass. Bob Seska plays more music. Today's show is sort of like an audio version of what the three of us have been doing via text messaging for like a few years now. <laughs> right, right, so, right, right. I'm so glad because usually I have Travis Bone on to talk about comic book movies, but I realized, holy shit, you know what? I got to get Rick and Freak Base on the show because this is what we do all the fucking time. Anytime right. there's news from Star Wars or Batman or the DCEU or the MCU Whatever it happens to be, even politics, we just jump into that uh, text thread and we go and go and go. And it's about goddamn time. I said, you know what? 
Let's just actually record one of these. Maybe that might be entertaining, huh? There we go. Yeah, yeah. So, well, well perfect. And then I know, I know the pop culture show that I'm doing is, you know, was supposed to launch six months ago, but I fucking promise we're close. And <laughs> yeah. you, you guys will be on the regular there if I'm honored. Uh, yes. I, I can't wait because it's yeah. been forever. It's like, uh, like every time we log in, it's sort of like, yeah, it's going to be this week. And then. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So can you guys make it? And I'll just I'll, I'll just say this. So Brian's studio flooded in Dallas, and that oh, was no. our first that that set us back about ninety days. Like it yeah. fucked up all his equipment, and it was a huge. Dallas doesn't have thunderstorms like that, mm-hmm. and and of course it did. Yeah. And then we finally bounced back for that. And then and then Courtney got engaged. We're like, okay, <laughs> so do that world do that whirlwind for a month and come back and let's reset, launch it. And then our friend died, and anyway, it's just been one thing after another. But once. You know, you, you, Bob, you know how it is. Yeah, like, yeah. Once we're up running, these right. little things are just setbacks for whoever's supposed to host that week, and we jump in and help, right? It's yeah, just yeah. right now, we're just not launched yet. Anyway, so, I'm done rambling. Rick, what is the name of the new <laughs> show, and when is it going to start officially? Do you know? So the show is called Friends at Work, mm-hmm. and we and I talked to Brian Chatlin, my co-host today, who's got the the promo video because I want to do this right. This thing's a lot of fun. Me, him, hmm. and Courtney Cheek filmed this thing at his, his new studio in Dallas. Yeah. And uh, we're going to launch it this month, and then we're going to go full full steam ahead in 2023. Friends at Work is a – first of all, I, I I know that I need to tighten this up from a marketing perspective. <laughs> off, the, off the record, it's a free-for-all, whatever the fuck we want to talk about. Yeah, right? yeah. We can yeah. have we, – we, we'll have a – other than politics, we there's – you know, but anything that's just fun, um, pop culture mainly, but – There'll be a lot of emphasis on, obviously, we're going to talk a lot about Batman, Star Wars, DC, Marvel, et cetera, and just really anything that, hey, let's do a show on the Bat- Back to the Future trilogy. Um, you guys great. are you guys are both guests back when I was with Batman on film, mm-hmm. and I had the what was called at the time, I believe they're still calling it the Satellite Show. Yeah. It's basically the Satellite Show full-time. It's just... Right, right. Any, any, yeah, right. Anything we just want to talk about. And there's some things that you, the three of us did over there I'd like to revisit on the new one. Mm-hmm. And like our comic book movies we love, but a scene we hate or things we hate about something we love or something <laughs> we hate, right? And, and, and yeah. we had the... I think we did the inverse of that also. Like That's movie so we fun. hate something. Yeah. Yeah, and just kind of go down that path again. But um, I'm super excited. They're both very talented. Uh, Courtney is, um, she's really into Marvel, and so she'll explore that world. And she has a mm-hmm. sister that does marketing for Lucasfilm that uh, gives us insight when it's appropriate. Oh, there sure. you go. We get some inside yeah. information. So lots yeah. of NDAs being violated on Friends no, of War. No, 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 no. Nothing like that. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Anything that's secret doesn't go on the show or even come to us for that matter. Uh, <laughs> no, just just fun stuff. Just insight. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Right, right. All From right. their perspective. Yeah. And Freak, you have absolutely become like the king of Twitch. It's incredible. I'm so glad to see that. Oh, well, thank you so much. I mean, you know, it's funny because the the live streaming world is so similar to touring, yeah. you know, because you you tour, you know, you play this city, a few people are there, you come back to the city five, six months later, a few more people are there, you know, and you just do that circle and keep, and it's kind of the same thing, you know, you just, you know, I've been doing Twitch, I've, I've just hit my year mark at Twitch, yeah. we just crossed over 2,000 followers, which I didn't think we would get there for a really long time, oh, and um and yeah, and the the staffs there are great. I have actually a guy at Twitch that actually kind of acts as my manager now for Twitch. He's a music guy, mm-hmm. and he's been he does a lot of the other musicians on there. He really helps out a lot. So it's um 
I mean, it's a full time, you know, I'm doing that. And I just started doing TikTok as well. They have a TikTok live now, which is, it's so different. I always say TikTok live is like the movie trailer. T- uh, Twitch is like the movie because it's uh, Twi- <laughs> TikTok is insane. You'll go yeah. on there and there'll be 3,000 people there. Then it'll go to 300 people. Then it'll go to 1,000 people. Then it'll go to 30 people. Then it'll go to 500 people. But the difference between Twitch and TikTok in a nutshell Twitch people will be on there with you four, five, six. Shoot, I did a, I did a twenty four hour stream and people were on with me the whole time. But oh my god, what do you do for twenty four hours? Sorry to interrupt, but I got to know. Do you just jam the whole time or what happens? Well, it's mostly it's a combination. I mean, you do our interacting. You know, there, there's time where you're actually talking with the chat and um, and you know your whole community on there. But um, yeah, I mean, I did some bass lessons on there. Did uh, some gear reviews. Um, I had some guests on throughout the, the whole time there. And, you know, it was funny because when I did that, I was like, okay, this will be, you know, it's going to be a little rough, but it's, you know, it's 20, I'm, I'm in one spot. It's not like I'm riding around in a van going somewhere. Oh, my goodness. About 9 or 10 in the morning, <laughs> that next morning, whoo, <laughs> it was rough. I mean, wow. I was... Um, I mean, coffee wasn't doing it, you know, so, uh, <laughs> but it was really cool though, because the thing is the long Twitch is weird because the reason the gamers are so big, I found this out when I went to TwitchCon, which was in San Diego recently, is that the reason the gamers are so big on Twitch, they can stream regularly for 10 to 12 hours at a time. Mm-hmm. Musicians, especially if you're a singer, but even, even players to play or sing that long can be very, very tax. You know, it's like putting on three Broadway shows. So, yeah. um, the thing is, though, is uh, but the way the algorithm works on on Twitch, the longer you're on, like that 24-hour stream I did, I just kept gaining and gaining and gaining and gaining, and it starts spreading out. The algorithm keeps pushing you harder and harder the longer you're on. So, um, and in different parts of the world, the Twitch is very, very, very international. That's why I do that morning stream on Wednesdays because I can reach people, and you know, there's a lot of people in Germany and and UK and such like that. So. Um, it's it's a whole world. It's the closest I've ever been to playing live. I mean, it's obviously not live, but it, it well, it is live. But I mean, it's not. It's got that same kind of in, that adrenaline energy you have from being on stage. Yeah. And I have the, so it's great. I mean, it's a very incredible platform. I'm very lucky. I'm so happy that it's out there. And um, yeah, I really enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah. And, but, and, Bob, but, and Bob, so many people are on there because of you, and I can't thank you. And I have uh, so many people that are at the Twitch stream like, oh, yeah, Bob Sesco. So, like, thank you so much for that, by the oh, way. Oh, that's so nice of you. Thank you. How thank cool you for saying that. that. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I love <laughs> it too. Well, especially because I, I think the world of you as a musician and as a guy, I mean, you're a really nice guy. And uh, I'm so glad that I was able to, you know, throw some listeners your way. So, yeah, that's very gratifying to hear. Um, and, you and, know it, what? And, and, and if I may real quick, Bob, yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't, it, isn't it great that in that cesspool known as Twitter that real life friendships can ensue? Yeah. And this is before it's the fuckery it is now. I mean, it was still a cesspool. I mean, obviously it's mm. worse in, yeah. in the post Elon purchase. But I just want to point that out that we all met on unless I'm mistaken. I'm pretty sure that's how the two of you met. As yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. We all we, yeah, we all, all met Twitter, on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, in fact, yeah. true story. Right. I thought you guys knew each other already. And so, Rick, <laughs> when you first invited me to go on your show on Batman on Film, I said, "Why don't you get Freak Base too?" Because I love Freak Base, and I didn't know at that point in time that you hadn't met Freak Base. That you only had, I think, had 
accidentally interacted with him on Twitter or something like that. So right, right, right. I yeah, feel well, like yeah. I'm a uniter in some way. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, and Freak Base is a kind of an ambassador for everybody doing uh, Bat Batman podcast. You you know you're really friendly with uh, Holy Badcast, Andy's uh, great site and podcast, and yeah. so it was a no brainer. And then you guys ended up being actual like truly wonderful human beings, and that's. Yeah. A bonus. And it's like, man, we can talk about anything. And we have. We've had shows that, uh, that you guys have come on my political podcast. And mm -hmm. we've done stuff on pop culture. And now here we are in your show, Bob. It's it's really cool. Yeah, well, that's really one of the reasons I think I, I'm so offended by what Elon Musk is doing with Twitter. Because it is, for all its flaws, yes, it's a gigantic worldwide bathroom wall. I get it. I get the <laughs> metaphors. But, but the fact is that we've all developed friendships. We all have a sense of community. And I'm there most of the day i'm sort of like the way freak base is on twitch i'm that way with twitter where right. i just love it so much i love being a part of that ongoing conversation as frustrating as it can be sometimes but the fact that we have developed a friendship you know freak in ohio you in texas rick and then me here in the dc area this is a, it's a remarkable thing. I mean, it's sort of indicative of most of social media, but I think Twitter is unique in ways that other social media platforms aren't necessarily. And again, the chaos that Elon Musk is manifesting in this community, I think the reason why we're so offended by it is because of that. Because this sense of community is now being thrown into chaos, don't you think? I do. I think yeah. it's and, I, and and sadly, I think it's intentional. Yeah, um, right, right. For, what, for for whatever reason, and I could peel back the psychological onion if I if I so dare, but I won't waste time on your show to do that. But at the end of the day, we're still here. the The app is still alive yeah. as of now, and hopefully, more people will benefit. I, I do think that it will prevail ultimately. Whether or not he even owns it in two years remains to be seen, or has enough sense to have someone that's actually running it, and he's just sending out tr trolling tweets. We'll see. I don't know, but regardless of what happens, I'm glad that. And it's not just you guys. There's dozens, but there's something particularly special about meeting the two of you because I think that um, I've had some of the best conversations of my life between the, with yeah. the three of us. And that's not being hyperbolic. I mean that. And it's it's a really cool thing. And I hope more people will, you know, if they don't find each other on Twitter that way, whatever the post Twitter thing ends up being, because I can't keep up with all these alternatives that are <laughs> popping up. No I'm just, kidding. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just waiting and seeing what happens, you know. And yeah, I think we're all off. just planting our flags and seeing which one rises to the surface. But uh, freak, freak, do you think we should stick around on Twitter until it finally dies? Because that's that's kind of how I'm leaning. That we need to hang on to this ground a little bit so Elon Musk doesn't drive away all the normals, leaving this gigantic communications platform only to freaks weirdos and i mean i, I just said freaks I, present company accepted but you know uh, uh, yeah, i mean you know, I, you, you know who i'm talking about red hats and so on for sure for sure yeah, yeah i mean obviously there's always that that everybody's worried about it turning it into 4chan mm -hmm. you know so um but um you know, Musk is, again, I'm not no defender at all, but I think, you know, there have been a couple little things he's done here and there that at least he's not just going to let, I mean, yeah, he's going to definitely let a lot of the right wing nut jobs in there that weren't there before, but he's not just going to go full on for, I don't think it's going to be full on 4chan there. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but, uh, you know, what was that? What was that about two weeks ago? That was such a sad night. I think I was on the road. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. It was, 
everybody saying their goodbyes on uh-huh. Twitter. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, that was that was heartbreaking. It was like, like every, the, the last episode of MASH. That's what it felt like. Everyone's yeah. going around <laughs> saying goodbye. Oh my gosh. And then woke up the next morning and it was still there. I was it's like, still fine. Yeah. 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 So I think it's gonna be I I with I I agree with everything that Rick said. I think it's ultimately whether it be Elon you know, letting someone ultimately, you know, take the heat and be the be the uh, the content moderator, and him just kind of, you know, enjoying the ego side of it, or um, or maybe ultimately selling it. We'll see. But I think it's it feels like it's just almost too, you know, it's it's almost become. I know it's it's a private company, but it almost feels like a utility now. You yeah, know, it, it has that yeah. kind of vibe to it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he can do whatever the fuck he wants to do with it. He owns it. That's fine. But he's he's what he's lost fifty percent of his top. Uh, advertisement advertisers Mm -hmm. and i don't know how long that can sustain and who knows what else is going to happen so we'll we'll see but uh all i know is that i just want to get this on the record i've had twitter blue now for about nine months and so i did not pay for that fucking fake blue check mark i have all right i didn't pay for it yeah it uh, just it just popped it just popped up one day and i'm like why is this thing here that's and good because I, I, I almost had to block you rick i almost no, blocked you I, on Twitter. no i because i'm like i'm reading all these things oh you losers buying the blue chicken like I, I I had Twitter blue. I was you I was did in like it before. A yeah. Ah, uh, before. Don't do that to me. And and mine was by the way was four ninety nine. I never paid eight bucks for it. But anyway. Oh, good job. Good job. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Twitter aside, I'm feeling a huge sense of relief this morning, uh, one that I haven't experienced in at least a couple of years. So thank you to the state of Georgia for delivering uh, Senator Warnock back to yes. the United States Senate. Uh, this guy has defeated Republicans four times in the last two years. That is one hell of a track record. I mean, That's right. if he gets done with the Senate at some point, he says, you know what, I'm, I'm sick and tired of being in the Senate. I want to move on to something else. You got to make him chairman of the DNC. I mean, the guy wins elections, very obviously, and he can win them in succession in a very short period of time, too. So, uh, Rick, what's it been Georgia, like? In yeah. Georgia, too, yeah. Oh, yeah, and that's the big challenge here. I'm glad you brought that up, yeah. uh, Freak, because... A lot of people are going onto Twitter right now or Facebook and so on and saying, why was it so close? But you know what? It wasn't that close. I mean, the the raw numbers aside, the fact that Senator Warnock was able to win four statewide elections against Republicans in two years in the state of Georgia, where there has never been a black man serving as United States senator, and that state is heavily voter suppressed. So you take all those things into consideration, you're damn right. It was a phenomenal win and one that it was still a gigantic victory. So, uh, Rick, what's it been like watching uh, your fellow Texan Herschel Walker fumble his way through this true. campaign? That's a, that is very true. He is yeah. a Texan, you know. Um, I, I'm going to read Carlos Rosado. I've never met this gentleman. Okay. He and I've been following each other on Twitter for a while. He's great. I'm going to read something. It just I think it answers your question, but to the way I feel about it, this is I'd like to remind House Republicans that a benefit of having 51 votes in the Senate is the ability to issue subpoenas. Mm. That's a subtle way of saying that if you go down the road of asinine investigations, we're going to return the favor on a much bigger scale. To me, that sort of like made my day just reading that. So that's been yeah, my favorite, yeah. my favorite tweet of the day. But just in terms of this happening, no, I, it's great. And I wasn't sure a lot of times runoffs, as we know, aren't historically uh, things that that changed the course of a of, of the election prior to it, but you just, it, it has happened, and you never know. So I was obviously very satisfied. And listen, it is 
I, I hate to say this, but the, the man Herschel Walker is not, he is not mentally equipped to hold a position in the United States Senate. It is, it is, uh, it's asinine to suggest otherwise. And so that would have been a black eye and something I think, I think that we very much avoided something that was a, uh, would have been very problematic for the next six years and a stain on the United States Senate. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I say that sincerely. And we have a wonderful man that's now going to serve six more years. Um, we obviously have subpoena power now. We don't have to worry about um, our vice president and the tie. And it's, it's I don't say uh, to, it silences, but it certainly puts people like Joe Manchin they don't have as much influence yeah. anymore. And that's a really big thing for yes. me. That's a huge, Absolutely. huge deal. Yeah, Mansion Cinema, they both become irrelevant at this point. Actually, let me revise what I just said. Mansion or cinema, one or the other, could decide to continue to be a fly in the ointment and we could still get to 51 votes on something without one of them. But we at least need one of them. And that's the pisser. I'm sorry. I'm suddenly like Debbie Downer. Like, oh, yeah, you know what? If Mansion is the fly in the ointment, we're still going to need Kirsten Cinema or vice versa. But uh, that's the way it works out. I, you know, I, I think we should all be celebrating the fact that 51 secures democracy for another two years. I think that's the big headline. Um, Freak, you're normally, you, you strike me as a relatively optimistic guy. I mean, I may be misreading that, but I think you are. How are you feeling this morning about uh, things uh, after uh, yesterday? Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny because we were talking about all this live streaming. I got done live streaming late last night, went upstairs, obviously flipped on the TV immediately. And then it was t- it was tied at that point. I'm like, what? I thought it was, you know, it was going to be <laughs> yeah, like, I know. Uh, you know, I couldn't believe it. And then but they called it literally like 10 minutes after after I started watching. But um, I just so relieved. I mean, it just for all the reasons that you guys are both talking about mm. right there too as well. And it's like, and again, I'm thinking in terms of 2024, that was, yeah, the 51 thing's nice now also, that's a big thing, but it's also, there's a lot of seats up in 2024 we can't forget. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's nice that, that that one is locked in, you know, at least for the, you know, another four years after 2024. So, um, you know, I think, and then Ornoff's, uh, well, he just got in in 20, right? So he's in, like, he won't be up in 2024 either. So Georgia's good for, at least to what 2026 yeah my math right yep just incredible i mean you could feel it in the i mean it just felt really really good and it just you know georgia it's so what's such a weird freaking state i mean you know i love playing there atlanta is one of my favorite places to play and but it's just like how does that how does that state and i'm from freaking ohio and we don't even have that here (laughs) we're supposed to be a purple state and we feel more redder than georgia right now which is so weird yeah yeah that's got to be a strange thing because yeah ohio was traditionally a swing state at least in the last uh, within the last 20 years both both obamas both clinton clinton both times obama both times yeah it's incredible and now it seems more and more heavily red as uh, time goes on and i mean obviously it sounds like your neck of the woods is still safely blue but the rest of ohio is is pretty much red right Right. Well, basically, you know, I'm Hamilton County, which is Cincinnati. Then there's yeah. Cuyahoga County, which is Cleveland. And then I can't remember what Columbus's county is, but those are the three big blue, blue, blue spots right there, too, as well. Mm. But all around us, just like everywhere else in the country, it's uh, 
Lots and lots of red and lots and lots of hats. Yeah, red yeah, hats for yeah, sure. Yeah, so. yeah I mean, it's, it's, that's how Texas is. It's so funny. Every year we feel like there's going to be a shift, and I'm still grateful for people like Beto that fight for it. And mm. long term, their impact will make a difference. It's stepping stones. But watching him lose by what was the, the final tally? It was nine, nine points, right, to Governor Abbott? Yeah, yeah. That was, that was, a, that was a kick in the – Kicking the, you know what, not not fun. Yeah. And, and Vance and, and, too, and Vance too. Vance was a, that was a pretty easy. I thought that that uh, Ryan would give. I mean, if he didn't win, I thought it would be way because he put on a hell of a campaign. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tim Tim Ryan did. I mean, you weren't even sure if he was a Democrat a lot of times the way that that the it was being run <laughs> and uh, and Vance just like pretty much tromps right over him. You know, I was I was pretty surprised it was so so definitive. Yeah, and you know what, I need to start looking at some of the exit polling. And- compare between a place like Georgia and Ohio and and figure out what the disparity is there. How J.D. Vance ended up uh, rising to the surface as really the only Donald Trump pick to have a successful uh, election. Maybe it's the same thing as what happened with uh, Beto O'Rourke in Texas. Who knows? It was just hard to overcome. The demographics just aren't there. You can't necessarily, you can't blame gerrymandering at all in that case, because it just doesn't apply uh, to Senate races. But uh, there may be other factors involved in all of that. Who the hell knows? Well, and you know, we, you know, but we do have Sherrod Brown, you know, Sherrod Brown, who's, yeah. yeah, So, and he's, I think he's, he's always pretty safe, you know, Mm -hmm. he, he always wins pretty handily here too, as well. So there is, there is that. So it's, it's again, Ohio is just so freaking weird. That's why, that's why the funk comes from here. Cause we're so fucking weird. <laughs> that's right. Well, you know what? We're going to cover more about the Georgia runoff on my Thursday podcast, but of course, right after Buzz and I wrapped our Tuesday show yesterday, we found out that the Trump organization was found guilty on 17 charges, including conspiracy, a, a whole range of charges of, of tax fraud, guilty, 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 all the way down. So, Rick, are you bored with all the winning? And I am not bored with all the winning. It's, it's quite <laughs> nice. But what I, what I would like to see, and I don't mean to be Debbie Downer here either, is this is all fine and good and accountability is great and just exposing what an absolute crook he is is, mm-hmm. is always wonderful. It's I mean, how many... Millions of Americans still don't see it. It's just baffling to me. But I I will not rest until this person is in jail yeah. or is just completely ostracized by polite society. Well, I guess by polite society, he has been. Maybe I need to re- mm-hmm. rephrase that, refine that statement because the, <laughs> the Red Hat MAGA are not uh, – not polite, mm-hmm. but uh, until he's no longer a threat to uh, regaining power and a threat to our democracy, it's hard to celebrate. But it is one more example of just what a corrupt uh, individual he is and what uh, corrupt minions he has around him. But here's the here's the burning question. I was watching some analysis of, with uh, uh, about this today and reading about it is what are the true legal ramifications in, ter- in terms of it touching him directly? Mm-hmm. As far as I can tell, that seems to be. Um, a little ambiguous or a little um, don't get your hopes up, basically, yeah. that it doesn't look like it's probably going to touch him directly, uh, which just goes to the heart of, you know, powerful people in, uh, in the country are, are protected and they are indeed above the law. But it's something. So let's see. But until he's not the nominee and not back in the White House in 2024 uh, or reelected, I should say, I'm not going to celebrate a whole lot but you know it is a good fuck you to to him because he's corrupt well you know one of the things i noticed when i was in the animation business when i was pitching ideas to studios and and tv networks and so on is 
everyone likes a consensus. And, and you know what? No one wants to be the first to greenlight something. So relating this to the legal jeopardy that Donald Trump is in, now that Alvin Bragg has secured a conviction with Donald Trump, I wonder if that now is going to provide cover for Letitia James. It's going to provide cover for Fonnie Willis. It's going to provide cover for Jack Smith and Merrick Garland and the two grand juries investigating Trump in Washington, D.C. And this may start a snowball effect. Okay, they've done it. They're making it okay. We can now move forward without being the first ones to successfully prosecute an ex-president. And I think that in spirit might actually benefit the cause of the rule of law and accountability for Donald Trump. Plus, there are so many different things that are stacked up against him right now, from lawsuits to criminal cases to uh, state-run investigations that could lead to uh, civil charges, and uh, I think in the case of Georgia, uh, criminal charges. And so I think this is all moving in a positive direction, and as I've been saying for some time now, it's all positive when Donald Trump has to face this kind of stress, has to face this kind of pressure. And then you combine that with the fact that he's being seen right now, not just by those of us who are normals, but by his own party as a loser. And nothing hurts Donald Trump more than being seen a loser. He lost in New York City. It's not just a conviction in his eye. It's not just the possibility of fines that could stack up and lead to criminal charges. It's the fact that Donald Trump lost. And if there's one person in this nation who hates losing more than anything else, it's Donald Trump. So in that regard, I'm really, really savoring this. I mean, This is where Donald Trump's thirst for attention is running right up against the rule of law. If he had just shut the fuck up after January 20, 2021 and and disappeared, done exactly what he had threatened to do during the 2020 campaign, where he said, if I lose, you're never going to hear from me again. If he had actually made good on that promise, I don't think he'd be in nearly as much trouble right now. What do you think of that uh, theory, Freak? I agree. And, you know, one, as you were, both of you guys are talking about this and Rick, especially when you were talking about, you know, it's, it's, you know, the, the, the Lucy with the football with, with, <laughs> with, uh, with, uh, with Charlie Brown type thing. The, I really think with Trump, I, I compare, you know, I'm a big baseball fan. And one of the things went with all my baseball friends on Twitter, we always say, you know, it's one thing to love a team. That's what you want as a team. It's another thing. The team even likes it when you hate the team. Like when you get pissed off, this team sucks, but you're sitting there talking about them all the time. Like how <laughs> yeah. much they suck. The worst thing that can happen to a baseball team in the world is when you don't give a shit anymore and you don't care. Excuse mm-hmm. my language. But, um, which I feel like now, like, you know, it used to be like, what did Donald Trump say? And, I, and I'd go look at, you know, what did he say? Like, it's, I don't, I think most people are, even in our circles, a lot of them, it's like, you know, it's a little, you know, the little boy who cried wolf thing. It's like, you know, okay, he's going to talk about the tour. We know we've seen this, this TV show a thousand. I can only watch yeah. this Netflix show so many times now <laughs> where it's like, I think everybody's getting, with the exception of his diehard fans who are not, are going to be with him, they will let him shoot someone in the street in front of them. But mm-hmm. d- generally, I really think his whole act is tired. I think politics moves way too fast. That that the one thing he had besides being a fresh face in 2016 is also just the um, 
you know, just the, the unknown factor and the new, the freshness factor, I guess. And that's all gone with him now. And it's like, you don't have that, you know, even Barack Obama, I love Barack Obama, but I don't even know if Barack Obama, like if he was, if he was allowed to run again, I know we all would love him to be president again. We all say that, but like, you know, he doesn't have that fresh, like politics is all about something new. And that's what he Mm. had in 2016. He doesn't have that anymore. And now with all his other baggage, you know, again, I don't, I don't think we should just like brush him off and be like, okay, he's not going to be the nominee. But more and more each day, I really, especially after the way the midterms went, I really, I really, I'm not sure that you would ask me a few months ago if he's going to be the nominee. I'd be like, of course he is, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not for sure about that. I, you know, of course, DeSantis is the obvious one, but I don't, you know, we'll even see that. Well, I still, you know, I've heard Kim say quite a bit, and I agree with her on this about, you know, let's wait and see when that guy gets on the national stage, what happens. But, oh, yeah, um, yeah. but anyway, so you know, I know I answered your question in a weird way, but but that's that kind of how how I how I feel about him right now. It's it's just. It, I've seen this this damn movie so many times. It's like, and I don't feel I'm the only one. It's just getting like I don't even want to click. I'm not, you know, I used to be clicked. I would like Trump said this, and I'm like, oh, what did he say? And it's like I don't feel that way anymore. I lost yeah. that. I, that's that's gone now with me. You know. So Rick, does uh, the Republican Party divorce itself from Trump or Trump and Trumpism, or do they get rid of Trump and keep Trumpism? What does this marriage dissolution look like in your uh, estimation? I think that their problem is, is that they realize the dark underbelly of their base. Yeah. The dark underbelly of their base has been talking like Trump started to speak publicly. And well, really, if you go back to his birthism nonsense in 2011 and 12. But when he started talking about wanting to ban Muslims and Mexicans coming over from Mexico are rapists and POWs aren't war heroes. I started going down yeah. the greatest hits. Wow. Remarkable. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I think the problem is, is that the base, he still owns the base and they know that. And they know that if they go against him and then he goes public with it, which is now on the truth social, wherever it may be, that he can put people out of power. He's not good at helping people uh, get elected, but he is good at damaging people that need that base, depending on where they are geographically. Do right? you think he really does? I don't mean to interrupt you, Rick. Do you think he does own the, uh, considering what you mean the base is, but do you think like your average Republican, try, that he still, he still like he owns them like he did? I'm not sure about that. Well, I don't know if I'd say the average Republican is necessarily the base, though. The okay. base, the, the hardcore the I don't know, guys, what you would call that if you take 100 Republican voters, what is the base? Let's let's do simple math and be fair and say it's 50. Right. Yeah. Okay. Still far. It's still far too many people. Uh, but I look at someone yeah. like Lindsey Graham, who's not he, he's corrupt and he is um, and he is nefarious and et cetera. But he's not stupid. Mm-hmm. And right. We all know that he's a smart guy. And that's also what makes sure. him so, dis- yeah. so despicable is because he knows better. He doesn't like that son of a bitch. He feels exactly the same way he felt about him in 2015, 16, probably worse. And look at the way that he sucks up to him because his constituents are the base that love him. Mm. And that's what I fear. So they can let go of him all day long, whatever that means. But if he still has a stranglehold on the base and can do enough damage to enough politicians that are in deep red areas that still love him, therein lies the problem. So I think that most people, maybe not the... Lauren Boberts of the world, but um, or the Matt <laughs> Gates of the world, but I think people like the Lindsey Grahams of the world, and maybe even to some degree the Ted Cruz's of the world, um, which 
I just want to say I hope his daughter's okay. Oh so, yeah, terrible. Yeah, for sure. So just I'm um, absolutely so just I just want to say that to him. Bless you and your family. Hope she's okay. Yeah. Um, but um, but I I think that they are the people that don't want to be married to him, but they're stuck mm. with him. So I don't know because it's the base that dictates it, not them. So we'll see. Yeah, you know, I think there's some existential dread there too. I think people like Mitch McConnell are genuinely fearful that if they come out and vocally oppose Donald Trump, I know Mitch McConnell's been nibbling around the edges of that, but I think he's afraid to go any further than that because he doesn't want to be assassinated. I mean, I think there's a certain level of fear after January 6th that a lot of lawmakers on the Hill are operating under. And this may not be the same way across the board, but I think there are quite a few Republicans who feel as though they need to continue pandering to the red hat base of the Trump movement in order to (laughs) save their asses. I think it's just basic fear of being assassinated or some other form of violence that's keeping them from outwardly condemning what Donald Trump says, where they're just kind of, again, they're they're not jumping headfirst into the thing. They're kind of just waiting around in the kiddie pool, so to speak. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out in the next two years. Uh, I'm so excited (laughs) to see the Republican war. I'm talking about the internal Republican war. I still believe that as soon as Donald Trump loses his first primary or caucus, that he is going to go to war against the Republican party. It will be, they stole this from me. This is mine, 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 mine. And you can't take it away from me. And you know what? I'm going to go form my own third party and I'm going to destroy you. And he will do that. He'll do that. He'll form an independent party. Maybe the MAGA party, whatever he wants to call it just to destroy the Republican. It doesn't even matter if he loses the election in his mind. He just wants to destroy. And I think that's, that's right. uh, he, <laughs> that could be. A, yeah. Go ahead. I, I hate to lift a line from the, uh, the, the, the great Chris Nolan film, the dark Knight, but he is an agent of chaos. Exactly. And I, and I think you're absolutely correct. I think yeah. he would rather just see the world burn. Um, if he can't get to power, he doesn't give a shit about the Republican party. He has no, no political the only thing semi-consistent about him of the last 40 years 30 years that he's talked about politics is trade with china <laughs> that's at least something you could go back and he's talking to oprah about that in 1990 in 1989 or whatever even though it's ambiguous and a little bit of a uh, it's a little loose i'm not exactly sure where what he meant exactly at what period of time but i'll give him credit where credit is due that seems to at least be the one through line through his political ambitions outside of that he has no moral compass he has no political compass he has no there's nothing that drives him in terms of any sort of meaningful legislation or anything like that mm. um i think it's just power and i think that he saw a path that was more viable to be a vile racist shitbag because if he could have been a bleeding heart tree hugging liberal and, and gotten into power, he would have gone that route. Yep. That's just who he's that's who he is. He's transactional. Um, and so with that said, I I really don't know in terms of what happens these next couple of years. And freak, I do agree with you in the sense that it's his it's it's old. Uh, his whole his whole shtick he does is old. But if he's going up against Biden, who I know we've underestimated or I have, mm-hmm. and I do admire Biden immensely. I do. And, but if he's up against Biden, that whole thing about it's not fresh and new is irrelevant anyway. And so that makes me nervous because I don't know, we're still dealing with the EC here and he can still squeeze out a victory. Yeah. And if he's the nominee, he's far too close 
to the White House again, and I don't I don't want him to be the nominee. So if you're sick and tired of cable news and other very serious political analysts these days, here's an outstanding way to support fully independent media specifically this show. For just $5 a month, you can support our Patreon page as we guide you through the madness and chaos of our politics. But it's not just about supporting shows like this one. You're also going to get bonus content as a reward for your monthly support. So we're talking about exclusive access to our Shadow Docket show recorded after the end credits on our Tuesday and Thursday shows. You're also going to get access to the Patreon app where you can download the free show and our bonus content. Plus, you can join the discussion with our community of Patreon members in the comments under each episode. All that for just $5 a month, just pennies per show. So don't miss out. Again, that's bobseskashow.com. Bookmark it, send it to all your friends, and we thank you in advance. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Bob Seska plays more music. You mentioned The Dark Knight, Rick, and so now we're going to switch gears into something Yay. that's a little... <laughs> A little more fun, and we're going to make Freak Base really, really happy by <laughs> talking about something that uh, initially brought us together as friends, and that's comic book movies, Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that entire universe of nerddom. I don't know what we're calling it. I, I just, in our text exchange about doing this show today, I called it nerddom. I don't know what else to call it, because comic book movies doesn't necessarily encompass some of those additional properties that I was talking about, Star Wars and Star Trek and so on. Yeah. So let's start with Freak Base. Because we're at the end of the year, let's do kind of a recap of some of our favorites and least favorites uh, in this genre of films and TV shows. So Freak Base, your favorite film of the year along those lines. I mean, I would guess I would have to say probably the most recent one I saw, and that would be Wakanda Forever. Okay. Um, yeah, the uh, it just I really want to go see it again. I've seen it just one time in the theater. I saw it the week it came out. Um, the way that they handled, I mean, such a hard. You know, the star of your movie dies, and you're going to have to you know do the sequel, and then yeah. you know the whole the whole controversy of should they recast, how to handle that, and you throw in uh, Namor or Namor. I know it's pronounced two different ways now, but um, who was you know one of the original Marvel characters from like 1939 or 40 or whenever it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, the casting for that that part is like I don't know if you guys have seen the movie yet, but it's like freaking pitch perfect in my opinion. The way that the, the actor that's playing the part of of, of Namor and um, he's next to Daredevil. He may be my new favorite Marvel superhero right now. And um, uh, wow. yeah, I mean it's I, I thought it was done so well and um, not my favorite Marvel movie of all time by any stretch. I'll tell you what. Let me just say this really quick. Right before we went on air on Twitter, someone had posted. 
I guess it's the fourth year uh, anniversary of when they released the teaser trailer for Endgame. And uh, so I watched it and um, just got goosebumps all over like I'd never seen it before again. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. like the one thing that Marvel is missing right now is an actor with the gravitas of the Robert Downey Jr. I love the new phase. There's a lot of there's some stuff that that's missing, some stuff that's hitting, but um, just seeing that in-game trailer and the way they built, I don't think, per, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. And I put this in the tweet when I retweeted it. I said, I don't think in our lifetime we're going to see something like that kind of, I mean, in-game, that was like such an event, especially yeah, in the world, yeah. in, the, in the world we're talking about, the geek world we're talking about. I mean, it was so everybody in the, and the build up to that and, and a 10 year journey to get there and just, and Robert Downey Jr. and all his, you know, everything that goes wrong with the Robert Downey Jr. even outside of the Iron Man stuff. And then of mm -hmm. course, uh, uh, everything. So, um, but anyway, uh, sorry, I know I got off topic there um, about that. <laughs> but yeah, I would say well, probably Wakanda Forever. I saw that you saw, or I don't know if you put in a tweet or you, or you, you DM'd us about seeing Black Adam. I actually liked Black Adam. I didn't like, like it wasn't the Dark Knight. Don't get me wrong. Right, it wasn't right. like not, nothing in there. But I kind of went in with it knowing it was going to be like a straight up kind of popcorn-y type movie. Mm -hmm. And I thought for what it was doing, it, no, it didn't rewrite the DCU or whatever that The Rock kept saying. Um, but but for what it was, I mean, on its face, a two-hour just like, let me just lose myself in this movie, I kind of enjoyed it. And I, Rick, I think you said something similar to that too after you saw it, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's forgettable. On, Very know, much, but, yeah. But it's but it was also it was it's also forgettable. That's about the worst thing you can say about a movie. It, it, well, per, perhaps, <laughs> and and and, uh, and touche on that. But I'll say this, Bob. <laughs> forgettable to me is I don't feel like I'm going to be talking about this film in five years. I don't think it moves the needle on the genre at all. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was a fun two hours. Will I go see a sequel? Sure. Yeah. Bring on a sequel. Am I anticipating a sequel like I am for the Batman? Um, or the next Tom Holland Spider-Man adventure? No, I am not. But right. but it it served its purpose. I think I I am as much as I love seeing Henry Cavill back in the role. Mm. He's you know after after the excitement of that wore off, and I was I was wrong about that. By the way, and I was okay to be wrong about that. Feel damn good about it. Um, if I'm gonna be wrong about anything, let's be wrong about something that I hope I'm not wrong about. <laughs> but um, but. At the end of the day, he's still he's still he's still a cameo. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's still a cameo. Granted, he's not a headless cameo yeah. or a faceless cameo, and it's him, but it's still a cameo. So, if that's all that happens with it, that'll even be more depressing. So, hopefully, the the best thing that can come out of that film for me is that it does truly relaunch him. Whether that's a soft reboot or just a flat out direct sequel to Man of Steel, I don't care. Make yeah. it good, have him in it, and let's. We've got a damn near perfect Superman on film here. Let's uh, let's utilize it. So that's yes. my biggest takeaway from Black Adam. Yeah, I, I'm going to come back to Black Adam under my worst comic book movie of the year category. So we're gonna we're gonna circle <laughs> back to Black Adam here in, in just one second. But I want to get your favorite CBM of the year, Rick, which I think I know what it is. But yeah, go ahead. Um, it would be it would be the Batman. Oh, and, yes. uh, oh my gosh, that came out this year, didn't it? I totally <laughs> forgot. That sure did. I that think Freak's going like to revise. A, yes. I know, I know. It's it's crazy to think that, right? No, <laughs> That feels I, like it was two years ago. Wow, that was this year. I know, wow. it was this year. Yep, yep. It was this year. So the Batman, for sure. I think that I still don't like it as much as the Nolan trilogy, by the way, mm -hmm. but that's okay. I didn't. I did not tell myself I had to. Yeah. 
Um, what it has done for me, though, is it, it gave me like, for instance, after Batman and Robin, <laughs> we weren't sure that we were going to get another live action Batman film for a very long time. And uh, this was before MCU Marvel blew up on screen. Let's all remember that, too. So the only thing that was going on that was even somewhat competitive was the Raimi Spider-Man stuff, which was great overall anyway. But, uh, you know, we weren't sure if we were going to get another Batman film. And then after, and then we did because that was so terrible. But we did. And we got this brilliant trilogy. Well, after the trilogy, I'm like, so we are we going to get another Batman live action film? That's great. And nothing against the Snyder era or whatever. And not to open a can of worms of B versus S, but it wasn't a standalone. <laughs> it wasn't a standalone Batman film. Yeah. Um, as much as I actually really did like Affleck and, and, and the role, I really did. And there's some great stuff in those films. I've, I I've agree done. with both of the things you just said. And I yeah. love BVS. You guys know. Yeah. Right. But it wasn't, it wasn't a standalone Batman film. So it didn't really count regardless of my opinion of that anyway. Mm. And uh, the Batman showed me that with the right director, that even just over a course of um, what, well, See, Rises was in 2012. Yeah. God, my God, it was I know. still amazing. Isn't that it? many. <laughs> I say that out loud. I'm like, Jesus, over a decade. Yeah. But regardless, um, Matt Reeves did something very special and gave us a very unique. There, there, are, there are scenes in the Batman, just like opening scene where they're at the crime scene with the mayor, right? And they're playing. Uh, oh my gosh, what's the Nirvana song called? I'm going blank. Uh, oh no, yeah. No, no, no apologies. Yeah, there you go. It, no, not no. It's not no apologies. It's uh, it's something in the way. Oh right, 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 right. Okay, right. right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But right. I don't remember the name. Whatever. The fact that he made that work in a film noir Batman film and to begin was like what? Yeah. I but know. that scene, there's moments in that scene. I'm going. I cannot believe. I cannot believe that we got this scene in a live action Batman film, like a true detective, and he's intermingling and truly interacting with police. And it works because even in the dark night, he came and went, right? He was not, yeah. he didn't interact so much on so the rooftop scene and with Dent and, and Gordon in the dark night, he's gone. And of course, mm -hmm. the great line is, you know, he does that. But, uh, <laughs> and this was far more uh, in, in the comic book vein of where he's like in the mix with the, with the police. And because for that to work in live action, then it kind of opens the door. Like, can, can they not tell that this is Bruce Wayne? And some things just don't translate from comic books to live action. But they pulled it off. Yeah, yeah. They pulled it off. And, and so, so good. And, and you know what? I'm going to stand for that act three for a second here. Because I thought that final action sequence in the Batman was one of the best Batman action sequences I've ever seen. And it, there was, I think, a, a, a common reaction that was kind of tacked on. That it really didn't need to be there. But I felt as though it was really exciting. And then to see Batman inject himself with some sort of serum slash adrenaline slash who knows what the fuck that was, was <laughs> a, a, just another level for Batman intensity. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen that, especially on film. And so that was exciting. And then the setting for that entire scene was uh, thrilling and uh, with the flood and all the rest of it. I thought it was great. I thought it was a great ending for that movie. Um, the, the, the symbolism in that scene is the, my favorite thing about it. He's the, he is the light that leads the way. That's, that's yeah. wonderful. But yeah. uh, the, the actual ending ending of the film is some of my favorite stuff. And when he's riding off on his bike and Selena goes to do her little adventure and just the way he kind of cuts his eyes up at the camera. Oh my goodness. It is so, so yeah. good. I cannot yeah. wait. I cannot wait to see, uh, the penguin on HBO Max and oh, where they go yeah. with that. 
Uh, and I cannot wait to see the sequel whenever they get around to making it and releasing it. Big fan of Matt Reeves' Batman. So, oh, go ahead, Freak. You were going to say something? No, I was just going to say, I'm assuming, first off, I yes, I officially revised mine to the Batman. <laughs> I, I kept thinking that was last year, because, you know, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home came up in December, I think, of the following year, so I was thinking it was right, really close to that. But um, yeah. So, yeah, as we all know, I think we can all agree, all three of us, is that DCs definitely are more jam if it's done right. Um, but uh, the... Uh, I'm assuming both of you have seen that the you know the the Joker scene that was taken out of the movie when yes. he goes and visits him at that. Oh my gosh! You know how I, you guys know I'm a Joker fanatic anyway, and <laughs> and um, that's I wish they you know that's the only I think that would I know why Matt Reeves took it out because he's worried about the Joker overshadowing the Riddler. I get that, um, but I I don't know. I wish uh, you know. I wish they would have kept that in the movie. I don't think it would have. I I almost would have rather seen that scene than the scene they did use the Joker in in the movie. That's the my only complaint about it. But yeah, uh, I kind of agree, and I, I understand the pacing of it. It might not have worked, and so I try to keep in mind I'm not an editor, and I know that's right, an impossible right. task. But it is a very good scene. And once uh, again, what do you do after Heath Ledger that came after Jack Nicholson that came after Cesar Romero that you're right? And I still will. I'm actually a fan of Jerry Little's Joker, just for the record. Um, and then for for this incarnation to be just in that scene, how unbelievably unique that was. Oh, I know. Watch it going. This is his Joker. This is Matt yeah. Reeves' Joker. It's so great. Yeah, so completely wrecked. It's <laughs> amazing yeah, to see I love it. a Joker that is that physically fucked up in his face. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so speaking of physically fucked up, let's talk about the worst comic book movie of the year. And yeah. <laughs> I am so disappointed to report this, but mine is Black Adam. I was really, really excited to see this movie. I had high expectations for it. I thought that it was going to be this chimera of the best things from the James Gunn movies and the Zack Snyder movies and some other materials that may be drawn in from the uh, Shazam movie because Black Adam is related uh, in the comics with uh, Shazam. And so I went in thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be great. I can't wait to see this. And then I started watching it, and it seemed, I, I don't know, maybe it was my frame of mind. Sometimes that plays into your reaction to a movie. But it felt really super cynical to me. And I'm talking from a filmmaking point of view, from a storytelling point of view. It was like it felt really like it was made by a committee. And I know that that is dominant these days. You know, Star Wars, uh, Lucasfilm has a writer's room where they go over all this stuff and figure out how to tell these stories. But you could really kind of see it in the Black Adam movie. And there were some great scenes. I thought The Rock was great as that character. And I like the character of Black Adam a lot. And, of course, I loved the mid credit scene where we see Henry Cavill Superman come back finally. But the movie itself not only felt cynical, but... In some instances, it felt cheap. I don't know what it was. Again, it could have been my frame of mind, but I just came away with a really sour taste in my mouth on top of the fact that at one point, I just I had to fast forward through it. I just <laughs> I couldn't deal with it. And, wow. and I don't know what it is. Uh, you guys know me. I mean, I don't normally do that with a movie, but I felt compelled yeah. this time. Do, do either of you see what I'm saying? Rick, do you uh, understand that? the? Could you see the cynicism of it or is this just me reading too much into it? I don't know the cynicism of it. I think that in some ways it was a little lazy. I'll yeah. say that. Okay. Um, right. And it, it did not live up to sort of what 
the hype was kind of you know relaunching the DC EU. It felt like watered down Snyder, quite frankly. Yeah. And yeah. like if you're gonna have watered down Snyder, then just have Snyder. But um yeah, that's uh, that's but, where the cynicism comes in for me. Like, okay, yeah. let's give them a little bit of Zack Snyder here, but not give you the entire flavor. We're just we're throwing things into a blender to see, you know, how this tastes, and it seems very formulaic to me. I don't know. It, it, that, that's fair. And again, when I said forgettable, that's kind of what I meant. But I still enjoyed it. But that doesn't mean that it's still not in the category. Of, it's also my least favorite. I'm, I'm I pulled up. I actually cheated and Googled. 2022 comic book films I'm like no i like that one that was good thor yeah. was fun i, li- I like uh multiverse of madness actually sam Raimi did a good job with that i'm like, oh yeah I'm my, like, that was I'm my like, yeah. second or third favorite cbm of the year uh i never saw morbius unfortunately but so i would have to say that black adam is probably even though i liked it fine it was fun and whatever it it, it would have to fall under my least favorite of the of the year okay well. what about you freak yeah. My le- are we are we doing least favorites? Yeah, I've I guess got, uh, yeah, I say least I say worst, but least favorite is more appropriate. Yeah, there we go. Uh, mine with hands down is Thor: Love and Thunder. I was so disappointed in that. Wow. They just like you know um, there were there were there were parts I loved. Uh, Christian Bale, bring him on all day. I wish he would have been in way more of the movie than he was. Those parts were excellent. I mean, it's Christian Bale and he's excellent, and the, the character's arc was really cool, but. They just went so far with the sil- I mean, I loved Ragnarok. I love. I thought it was great, but they. It's almost like they're like, okay, that worked so well in Ragnarok. We're just gonna do that on steroids. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole Guardians of the Galaxy part, they could have just taken out of the movie, in my opinion. And <laughs> I love Guardians of the Galaxy too. It's just, and I know they had to do it because of the way Endgame ended, and that's the way you know that's where the kickoff was from. But. Um, yeah, it was just too, just too, too silly for me. And, and, and yeah, so I was like very, especially being more like, you know, Black Adam, maybe I gave it grace. Maybe I went in there with the, you know, it is a comic book movie. It's a pop, or excuse me, a popcorn yeah, movie. Yeah. So I set my bar pretty low when I saw it, which made hmm. me maybe enjoy it a little bit more. With a Marvel movie, I have that set, especially Thor. That's what is his fourth or fifth movie, a solo movie, fourth solo movie. Yeah. That it should be, you know, it, it has to be at a certain level, um, you know, with quality control. You know, when you got Kevin Feige, you know, up there checking everything out. And it was just very, very, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but I was just, and I love everybody. You know, all the actors are great, but it's, it was just the writing. They just went it felt like a TV show too much. It didn't feel like a movie. Yeah. I think the thing with Marvel right now, and I think Thor love and thunder fits right into this analysis, which is that it just seems all over the place. The first, the first section that started with Iron Man and ended with Endgame. I don't know how they're, grouping all I of those movies together. I think but, that was divided into two phases, but go ahead. Well, the, oh, I yeah. know what it is. It's the yeah. Infinity Saga. That's what it's right, called. Right, okay, correct, yeah, correct, yeah. correct. So yeah. the Infinity Saga, I thought, had a definitive through line where you were following a comprehensible number of characters through this ongoing story arc where they each had their own individual stories, but it was all leading somewhere. This current saga... I feel like it's going to kind of lose general audiences. I think we can follow along with it because we devour all of this shit. Sure, right. But I feel like it's too all over the place with too many characters. In fact, I think Marvel is now sitting down to pare its output down a little bit because I think inside Marvel, they're realizing, oh shit, this is really all over the place. I think we need to simplify a little bit more. And I kind of saw that uh, initially just through if you think through the lens of someone who is only casually watching these movies and TV shows, 
that maybe it's just too much to absorb. I don't know. By the way, I haven't seen the latest Thor movie yet. <laughs> and it's, it's, oh, it's shocking. So, uh, sorry, sorry to ruin it. For, I mean, I didn't mean oh, to no, ruin it. No, you know, it's so, fine. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. okay. I don't care. I'm just thinking, like, Taika Waititi, I, I would think that it would be uh, a better movie <laughs> because yeah, of his involvement. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, yeah. I love, you know, besides, you know, the superhero stuff, obviously, Jojo Rabbit and, uh, you know, what, what what they do in the shadows, all that stuff. I yeah. mean, I, I think he's... he's genius that's why i was i was kind of almost more surprised by my reaction to it more than anything else that i didn't like it more okay one quick break back with more show right after these words okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available h-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Bob Seska! So let's get into favorite and least favorite uh, TV series of the year in this large tent genre. Um, I, you know, I have a three-way tie for TV series between Peacemaker, Andor, and Strange New Worlds, though I'm leaning towards Strange New Worlds. And if you had told me a year ago that my favorite TV series of 2022 would be a Star Trek show, even though I am a huge Star Trek fan, I mean, I'm a next generation super fan. I've seen that series through, I can't even tell you, a dozen times at least. But I wasn't really on board with the new generation of Star Trek TV shows. Strange New Worlds comes out and just blew me away. It was like, this is what Star Trek should be. This is 1,000%. I've watched that series. i watched season one through four times now on Paramount+. Plus. That's wow. how much I love it. But I also loved Peacemaker almost as much, Andor almost as much. And then just for the sake of uh, sort of moving this along a little bit, my least favorite comic book movie TV series or comic CBM TV. I don't know what you would call it. Comic book TV series. I think my least favorite of the year would have been Picard season two. <laughs> I'm sorry. It just, I, I'm on board with this concept that it was a, a dumpster fire filled with burning dumpsters. It was not good. And I think more than anything disappointing because how much I love next generation, that vibe was never really carried through. So I still have high hopes for season three, which is coming out in the next couple of months. But uh, meantime, the first two seasons of that series were terrible. So Rick, your uh, favorite TV series of the year and your least favorite TV series of the year. It's a, you know what? I just wanted to add real quick before you answer, Rick. It was kind of a, I don't know, I don't want to maybe use this word, but it was kind of a weak year for movies along these lines. But the TV series this year, have been phenomenal. And I know, Rick, you're really into Andor and have some interesting thoughts on that. So I'd be curious to hear you talk about that. 
Yes, and to be fair, a lot of the stuff Marvel, etc., that uh, I have not really committed to. I've watched some She-Hulk. I thought it was fun, but I, yeah. I didn't watch enough of it. I'd here and there, and the episodes would be on, and my stepsons would be watching it, whatever. But um, the stuff that I really committed to, Peacemaker was phenomenal, mm-hmm. phenomenal. And then, but I, I want to put all my attention for this, if you don't mind, on Star Wars because. It's my favorite movie franchise of all time. Yeah. Uh, Batman being my favorite fictional character of all time. Star Wars being my favorite film franchise of all time. Yep. Or franchise of all time. Same. And I think, uh, yeah, and I think Disney Plus, yeah, that's how one of the reasons you and I became friends. I think that Disney Plus is doing, or I say Disney Plus, Lucasfilm. Let's let's be fair here, right? This is still Lucasfilm. I think they're doing an amazing job with their live action shows. Something I wasn't sure would work. And here now we have Mandalorian, we have Boba Fett, we have Andor, we have Obi-Wan. And I, I actually like all the shows, um, all of them, and for different reasons. My least favorite show, I probably would have to say Boba Fett, even though I do. It's kind of like the Attack of the Clones, right? I I understand the complaints. I get it, right? Yeah. But there's so much of it that I love that works for me that it's still very endearing, and I enjoy the hell out of it, and I'll die on that hill. Those final three but episodes, I, man, those final three episodes of Book of Boba Fett were just out-fucking-standing. They were, but I tell you, my favorite episode, honestly, is the one that he gets all fucked up on peyote and, and oh. uh, <laughs> yeah, right. I forgot about that yeah yeah, yeah. and I, because to me like weird star wars is my favorite star wars that's why i love the last jedi <laughs> and, and empire strikes back is fucking weird but but boba fett has to be pound for pound the least good yeah all of them. i know what you mean uh but i kind of morph it into the mandalorian anyway it's sort of one show I really loved Obi Wan. Um, mm-hmm. Was it perfect? No, very few things in Star Wars are perfect, but I think it hit all the right notes. I love how there's so many things people talk about that it was a, it was a, against continuity, and I would love to sit down with anybody and buy them a beer and talk face to face, going how? Because I yeah. respectfully, I think you're wrong. I think it enhanced continuity. Every little thing you can throw at me, I'll, I'll have a, a counter to it on that note. But I, I really enjoyed seeing Hayden Christensen back in the role. I love the flashback sequence with him and Obi-Wan. I love the relationship with him and Leia, which makes a lot of sense in terms of that, that scene in A New Hope and Luke comes to save Leia. And, and he's like, I'm here. I've got Ben Kenobi. She's like, Ben Kenobi, where is he? Now that makes sense. And also, yeah. let's also address this. Her son is Ben Solo, right? Yeah. Why did she, now we know why she named him Ben Solo. Um, just really great stuff. And, uh, and I think Deborah Chow did a fantastic job. That is, um, that has to be my favorite. There's some moments in, in Obi-Wan that are my, some of my favorite moments in Star Wars ever. Yeah. And incl- including when he smashes half of Vader's mask and you hear, um, Oh man, it's like Hayden Christensen. Yeah. No, no, it's not. No, Hayden, it's not that. It like it just like literally chokes me up a little bit. You see Anakin going back and forth with with being Anakin and being yeah. Vader, and his voices. So Hayden Christensen and James Earl Jones. That is a really strong, intense scene. Mm-hmm. And 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 watching him watch Obi Wan's watch Ewan McGregor's reaction to that. Yeah. Tie that moment into that last sequence in, in Revenge of the Sith. Um, when he says, you're my brother, Anakin, I loved you and you were the chosen one and all that. And then juxtapose it with that moment. It's, it's, it's powerful shit. And, and, and real quick too, I'll say this one thing that I think was very impressive. I don't think it's talked about enough. I was very curious, how is she going to handle the aesthetic? Because this is quite literally in between the prequels and the original trilogy. And we know that aesthetically there was a big jump, right. In mm. terms of, and I know that that was the films came after 20 something years later, it was all CGI and Lucas exploring, with the uh, 
technology. But set all that aside, I just look at that as the reality of the timeline. Those films look like this or that time period look like this. And this time period looks like that. I think they did a fantastic job of balancing that. And I got almost a visual transition of pre-Empire and post-Empire, right? Mm -hmm. Like on Alderaan, that looks straight out of the prequels. Um, but you know, some of the stuff in the desert scenes being not, not just Tatooine, but some, that other planet they go to where they meet the, uh, the red hat driver that, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Red hat yeah. driver. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's such a great sequence to yep. me. That was a, was a, that started to morph into the original trilogy. Yeah. So really good stuff. And then I'll, I'll jump to, um, to Andor. And this is what's interesting to me with Andor and I'm rewatching it right now and I'm on episode six mm-hmm. and I've never seen something so well crafted and well made, so beautifully written and acted, and it's empirically fucking great. Mm-hmm. And I'm still going, I just don't feel like I'm watching Star Wars. I just don't. <laughs> yeah. I just don't. I, I love it. It's so good, but mm-hmm. I don't believe that that this is like the empire they're referring to is the stormtroopers marching around invader and the emperor. And I just don't feel like that's that same reality. And uh, I struggle with that a little bit. It's almost yeah. like that sh- the show's almost too good for Star Wars, maybe, you know, in a way. It's got a very different, t- it's such a departure from the, even the Dave Filoni view of Star yeah. Wars. I-, I can't see Salacious Crumb, for example, in the Andor universe, laughing, right. you know, cackling at, you know, sitting right. next to Jabba the Hutt and laughing at C-3PO and shit. But I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care that it doesn't have that same tone because I feel like Star Wars, of all the different sagas going on right now, whether it's Marvel or DC or Star Trek or Lord of the Rings, Star Wars seems to have the greatest track record at this point with just outstanding shows. And I don't know exactly what has manifested that. I just think that they've got a great uh, creative team working on this, led primarily by Dave Filoni and so on. But now Tony Gilroy and Andor adds another layer, another flavor to Star Wars storytelling that I think is is quite welcome. And I think it works. I think it ultimately works. I don't think you necessarily need to have sort of the more whimsical Star Wars elements in there for it to work. I think it works on I- its own. I don't want them in there. I just want to believe that that universe coexists with the universe (laughs) that has the whimsical stuff. Does that make sense? And that's, and that's, that's the challenge I'm trying to kind of reconcile that. But Mm. look, man, I I watched episode five yesterday and the the credits rolled or whatever. And at the end I'm like, fuck, this is a good show. (laughs) (laughs) This is is a good show. There's Mm -hmm. no question about it. It's, it's, it's good. So my favorite would be Obi-Wan and my least favorite would be Boba Fett. And uh, but I'm going to put Peacemaker up there as one of my favorites, too. That is just pure joy, man. And, and um, I, yeah. I saw you had a, I saw you had a new Twitter follower, too. That's I'm jealous. Oh, uh, what? Who's my new Twitter? Fo- oh, yeah. John Cena. Holy shit. That's right. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. John Cena follows me on Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, Peacemaker is following me. And he, and he only and you know what? He only follows about 400 people. So I feel like I'm an exclusive club. But you know what? I love it. You know what? The. The pisser is about that. He started following Kimberly like a month before me. 
And so, yeah, at one point she comes in. I think we were getting ready to go to bed. And she walks in and she goes, oh, you know what? I was just followed by this new blue check. Do you know who John Cena is? I'm like, fuck. Why did you tell me that right before I go to bed? Now I'm going to be obsessed oh, about it. John Cena, you don't even know who John Cena is. Do you, are you aware of Peacemaker? It's like, I, I, didn't, I didn't handle it well. We're, we're a little bit competitive with that sort of shit. So That's so cool. But anyway, what, what about you, Freak? Uh, comic book TV series, your favorite, least favorite? Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to go with Peacemaker for sure. I mean, I had a little invested interest. I knew about the show yeah. before a lot of other people did because my keyboard player, Sky White, if you ever see pictures of me, he's a guy with a crazy long beard. He plays in another group called Foxy Shazam. Mm-hmm. And he had told me months before any of this happened that uh, James Gunn's people had reached out to Foxy about the idea of using one of their sh- uh, songs oh, in the yeah. show he's putting together before it even been announced or anything. And he was like, and he and he was you know he knows I'm a big superhero geek, and he's like, do you know anything about? It? And so I was like, oh my gosh. So uh, so which it was in the first episode too. It was the Church of Rock and Roll. It's from their 2020 2012 album. So yeah. that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that show every week I would like when you know the show ended, I was like, no each week was one of those type those type reactions the obviously we all know that intro is probably one of the best intros of any tv show of all time oh god yeah the whole whole dancing thing and the eagle and everything and um (laughs) you know just all the i mean besides cena who was just i had first off i had no idea cena had those kind of acting chops me too yep i was like what yeah so there's that and And by by the way just sorry to interrupt but uh it's all good james gunn confirmed in the director commentary track on the suicide squad which i have watched because i'm a huge nerd uh but he confirmed that a lot of john cena lines in that movie and in peacemaker are improvised by john cena he said john cena is one of the best comedic improvisers that he's ever ever worked with and so that's just a little uh, uh side note on his performance yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, the vigilante character and, and the way that they tied in the suicide. And I love kind of how, like, in all this new iteration of DC that, um, uh, uh, um, Viola Davis, uh, what, whose character am I drawing? Uh, Waller, Amanda, Amanda Waller. Waller. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. She's kind of like the through, even, even Black <laughs> Adam, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and, um, and I think we are in, not to segue into something different, but I think we are in very good hands having James Gunn as the head of DC. That's oh, one yeah. thing, very, very exciting uh, development that happened this year. I'm excited about that. Yeah, I want to come back to James Gunn. What about your least favorite? Uh, you know, and I hate to say this because I tried really hard, and, and you guys know I'm a huge Daredevil fan, and I, and it turns out I was just really watching the series just for that. It's like <laughs> I really wanted to like She-Hulk, and it was, yeah. it was t- uh, tough, you know? I mean, just because... Again, a quality control thing. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. the CGI, not to be like, you know, Twitter, but it's like the the, the CGI was so lacking at times yeah. with her. You know, it was like Shrek from 2002, you know, mm-hmm. but some, which was so weird because sometimes it was great. I mean, you would see pores and you would see, you know, lines on the face. You know, it's almost like, okay, this week we got this budget, but this week we have this, but it was like very... <laughs> inconsistent you know with with that so that was one of the things and i just thought i i don't know it just it, it just was i thought the writing was a little inconsistent you know too as well i mean the daredevil stuff was cool that you know that was the main thing i was just great to see charlie cox back on the screen but oh, yeah. um 
you know, and I'm really, really looking forward to that. I hope they go as dark as the Netflix series with the with the mm-hmm. Daredevil thing. That's a whole other conversation. But um, but yeah, I I would say, and it's not like I, I didn't hate it. It's not like it was like this sucks. You know, it's Mar- Marvel's like pizza. You know, even the worst pizza is still you know pretty good. You <laughs> yeah, know, well said. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's uh, it, it was still entertaining. But just in terms of the quality control, you know, Marvel has this this brand now that I kind of expect it to be a certain level, and mm-hmm. which is the same problem I had with with Thor: Love and Thunder. So that would that was uh, I guess if I had to choose, you know, that would be that one. You know, I, I do this sometimes. I don't know why the fuck I do it, but when it came to the CG version of She Hulk. I wish they had cast like one of these ripped CrossFit women and just and used CG to enlarge her larger than she or taller than she actually is in real life. And they could have used uh, makeup effects and even done kind of a face replacement to make her seem a little bit more like uh, Tatiana. And, right. and so it was hit or miss. And I think it just comes from the fact that they farm these scenes out to different animators, different uh, yeah. visual effects studios and so on. So you get kind of inconsistent quality. But um, overall, now, real, really, real quick, real yeah, quick. The, yeah. With that said, the finale was mm-hmm. was ge- was genius. Yes. It was so self-aware. It was so good. <laughs> yeah. It was almost worth it for that f- that finale. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Well, let's talk about James Gunn taking over the DC universe real quick before we wrap up here. I, and you know what? I'm pretty sure I predicted this on Rick's old podcast earlier this year. I think we were all gathered. I forget mm. exactly what the context was, but I said, based on the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker, they should get James Gunn to run the show. I or, think I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Or at the very least to bring James Gunn's storytelling, Gunn's? James Gunn's storytelling style to the DCEU, which was a great combination. And this includes the Suicide Squad, which, as I said, I just rewatched that over the weekend. And what a great comic book movie that was, because it had that different tone that I like. I love the Marvel movies. But I think DC has an obligation to present maybe something that's of a little bit of a different tone and to go kind of all in on the hard R adult content with comedy and heart and and interesting filmmaking where it wasn't just sort of cookie cutter filmmaking where James Gunn really put his stamp on every shot from the incorporating the titles into the scenery uh, to the cinematography and so on. A wonderful film, and so that should be moving forward, because I think this all gets underway starting in 2024. After Aquaman, it will then be the James Gunn era. From that point forward, they should try to incorporate more of that filmmaking style into the DC movies, not just to set it apart, but to... Well, yeah, I guess to give it its own voice, to give that universe its own voice that's separate from Marvel, because there's such a glut of these kinds of movies that and you want general audiences to be into them, too, because you want the budgets to be robust enough to keep the quality level up. So I think in order to do that, though, you need to distinguish between this DC universe and that Marvel universe and make sure that people aren't confusing them in their heads and everything gets gummed up and they realize, Oh, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not even going to watch any of these things anymore. You know what I mean? (laughs) So Rick, what do you think about uh, James Gunn taking over the DC universe as uh, I guess what the CEO of DC studios? Yeah. I'm going to give you the shortest answer I probably have ever given you Um, (laughs) er, 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 earlier, which means it's going to be 30 minutes. Kidding. Er, Earlier when you, when you were talking about black Adam, I almost said, 
hey man, don't worry about it because by the time the sequel comes around, James Gunn's going to be in charge anyway. Yeah, and, and uh, I'll just leave it at that. I mean, it's <laughs> okay. it's a it, it's a it's a great choice. Um, I think between the Snyder and post Snyder, there's there was there's some good stuff with Snyder. There was some good stuff post Snyder. Bad stuff in both, in my opinion, as well. Let's mm-hmm. have a cohesive vision. And let's move forward. And just as long, just leave Matt Reeves the fuck alone, please. Let him do his thing. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I'm sure James Gunn has the the uh, the smarts, if you will, to do that. But I am very excited to see where all this goes. I, I I'm excited to see um, even existing you know properties like Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and I like the sequel, by the way. But I do think the third one needs to be better than the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I'm I think we're in great hands, and I'm as a fan, I'm super excited about him being in charge there you go what do you think freak same thing and you know i uh that photo the other day you know it could be just a random photo but if, uh like we do we we have to dissect everything but you know uh, gun, gun kind of teased with with the kingdom come photo right there oh yeah and which which you know makes if he goes that direction where you know gun saying he's going to tie every property together not just mo- movie TV shows, cartoons, everything is going to all yeah. video games. Yes, everything's going to go all into one thing, and the that the Kingdom Come thing, and even the if they do keep Cavill and obviously Godot, who's I think you know probably in her mid to later thirties now. It's like mm-hmm. that all in terms of you know, and, and obviously Momoa's in his forties now. It like it all kind of makes that they go with the Kingdom Come route, being that like the DC version of Endgame eight to ten years from now. And, you know, Cav will be pushing 50 at that point. And it's like, it really, I mean, just wow. And <laughs> if anybody could do it, James Gunn could do it. And, um, yeah, I just think I, I, I couldn't, I don't think they could have chosen anybody better for DC. If Kevin Feige, I know there was that rumor that, like, they tried to get Kevin Feige to come over to DC. I, I even think even Gunn, I think, is specially equipped for it and then yeah. of course the the let the rumors go wild in our lifetime we're going to finally see a marvel dc crossover movie <laughs> too as well i'm wondering will that jump the shark at that point do you think Freak. It depends on who's, you know, just like anything else, writing yeah. and and who's who's putting the talent together. I you guess know so. What I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah ultimately, ultimately, is it good? And <laughs> if it's good, right, yeah. that's what it comes right. down to. Right. Yeah, that's right. Thanks so much, yeah. guys. Uh, I, I really appreciate this. We're gonna do it again very, very soon. I swear to God. And in fact, maybe even bring in Travis Bone uh, into the mix. And who knows? Maybe I'll end up doing a, a nerd cast down the road where we just all assemble uh, on a regular basis and and talk about this shit. Because I certainly need. Once again, as I've said to both of you on your show, Rick, I seldom actually speak out loud about these things. I read about them. I see the movies. I think about them. And then when the words start coming out of my mouth, I'm like, I've never said this out loud before. (laughs) So it's always a cathartic experience and so much fun to interact with you guys. Uh, Rick, uh, plug away. Tell everyone about your bar, your new podcast, where people can find you on social media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, well, yeah, you're going to, hey, if you're in the Dallas area, go to McKinney, Texas. There's a bar I'm partners in called the Elwood uh, in McKinney, 121 in Alma. It's a great spot. So go support the Elwood. Thanks Perfect. for that, Bob. Didn't even, didn't even think about that. Uh, follow us uh, at Barstool Pod Left Group Politics on Twitter. We're about to relaunch that podcast. 
Um, and hopefully have these gentlemen back on that show as well. Awesome. But the thing I really want to plug is uh, Friends from Work Let's Chat, the new pop culture podcast. We're going live this month. We're about to have a promo video. Go ahead and follow us over on Twitter, please, at Friends Work Pod and get the conversation started. And uh, I know these two gentlemen will be joining me on that as well. And I'm super stoked. Absolutely. Thank Freak, you. King of Funk, Duke of Twitch. Plug your things, man. Yeah, well, that that's pretty much where I live about anyone anymore. So you can either find me over at twitch.tv slash freakbase. That's with two E's, F-R-E-E-K-B-A-S-S. I'm now also doing TikTok lives too, which are fun. If you just want a quick little little adrenaline shot of some freakbase over there, same thing, just at freakbase. And of course, you can find me on where we all became friends on the mighty, hopefully it'll still be there by the time this podcast airs, <laughs> Twitter at freakbase as well. Yes. Right on. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Great talk today. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. So this is Christmas. What have you done?